Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Detectives say the 32-year-old cold case was cracked with the help from a deck of cards. On each card, a different cold case, whether it be a wanted person, a missing person, or an unsolved murder. Well, investigators say a prison inmate saw the victim's face on one of the cold case playing cards and then tipped investigators off. The Bernalillo County Sheriff's Department had the cards made up at the suggestion of a former cold case detective. I'm Tommy Ray. Cold case card program I started here in Polk County has since grown across the U.S. This is not your ordinary deck of playing cards. These cards contain 52 unsolved cases, and with every hand that's played, the stakes are unusually high. They've been dealt to inmates across the nation, and investigators are hoping their tips will stack the odds in favor of the house. Now it's your turn. These victims have been dealt an unfair hand, and it's up to you to deal justice. Somebody, somewhere, has information that could be investigators' ace in the hole. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of Dealing Justice, the Christine Cole case. I am Jennifer Dubasset. And I'm Lori Jennings. And we are so happy to be able to spotlight this case today. You know, this case... Um, came to us through Detective Sue Cormier, and I just love how we have this connection with her. This whole thing started off of the cold case playing cards that retired FDLE special agent Tommy Ray started. And I love the ripple effect of this, and this is exactly what he wanted and his intentions with this. The cold case playing card program has now went international at this point, and so many states are picking it up, and it's done such amazing work. And now an amazing detective, Sue Cormier, out of the Pawtucket Police Department, started this, and she really was a champion for this program. My name is Detective Susan Cormier. I am a detective with the Pawtucket Police Cold Case Unit in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, and I am investigating the homicide of Christine Cole, the Queen of Hearts. I've been a detective for 15 years. I've been on the job for uh, 25 years. I started working one cold case a few years ago, and it really had an effect on me, and from there, my passion grew for cold case investigations. The biggest idea um, that I put forward, it wasn't my original idea, but I was aware of the use of cold case playing cards. Basically, the end game is to really spotlight these cases and get the public talking again, because one of the things that I found the public says to me the most is, I thought that case was already solved. I thought everybody knew Johnny so-and-so killed that person. And... You know, sometimes it's common knowledge to some people on the street, but not to the police. It didn't get to us. You know, people talked about it, but weren't comfortable talking to the police back when this happened. We've had people call in tips from many, many different states. We just want to, even if there isn't anyone still alive to prosecute, at least we could give the family some closure 
and put a, a face and a name to the person responsible. We're still at the very beginning of this, but it's gone extremely well. This is one of the first cases, and it's little Christine Cole. She's 10 years old, and Lori, again, I just think when we see these these children in these cases, and we know the hurt that's around it, and that it, both of us decided that this was a perfect episode three. It is, and talking with Sue, you just hear the passion. That's why it's incredible that there is, after more than 30 years of authorities trying to get answers for this, even though we learn about Christine's case now, we have an amazing update to share with you at the end. So be sure to stay tuned. And once again, our intention with the series is to bring each of these victims to life so that all of you out there that are listening, it compels anyone who may have information or know anything will come forward. You know, as we're always reminded, this is somebody's child, somebody's brother, sister, friend, whoever it is, every life matters. And so we are going to continue to do this and to put these stories out there. And our goal is to lay out the timeline and, of course, the pertinent details that may jog someone's memory. We are not detectives. We are storytellers. We just hope that by using our gift of storytelling that we can make some small difference in this. We would love to see the day when there are no faces to put on the cold case playing cards. But until that day comes, we will continue working with Tommy Ray and telling these stories in pursuit of dealing justice. time for us to solve these cases one card at a time. This is Episode 3, The Christine Cole Case, Queen of Hearts, Rhode Island Deck. In this episode of Dealing Justice, our story begins in Rhode Island, where we discover big crime in the nation's smallest state. Christine Cole's life was short. She had 10 years and two days on this earth, but within that time, she had seen a lifetime of hardship, like so many other children who were born into poverty and dysfunction. Christine Cole was born on January 4, 1978. Her mom, Margie Cole, was just 17 years old. Margie had a complicated upbringing herself and was raised in the projects of Rhode Island. Here, Margie's brother Fred tells us just how complicated things actually were for this family. The family was kind of like the zoo, actually. We grew up without a mom. My dad raised us. We grew up in the projects of Hoffett Projects. You know, the elephant in the room. My mom was, um, you know, raped by her father. My first brother's out of incest. I was six years old. The first time I remember my mom going to the Institute of Mental Health in Rhode Island. So Christine Cole was born to a teen mom raised in poverty from a single-parent household whose DNA was mired with mental health issues brought on by incest and rape. But babies have a way of planting a seed of hope in even the darkest reaches of a troubled legacy. My dad wasn't too pleased. I, it's not that he wasn't pleased. You know, as a parent, you're worried. But uh, once the baby was born, it was like, more than anything else, the amount of joy that Christine brought to my father, she was it. You know, I think... As a grand, like, I'm a grandparent now, too. Your grandkids are different than your own kids. Like, there's a real personal investment there. Your grandkids, it's just more something that you can enjoy, you know, because it's almost like not your responsibility in a sense to raise them and try right. and teach them. Exactly. Right from wrong, you can more or less enjoy them a little more with a lot less pressure. Christine was loved, 
But her teen mom, Margie, was doing what teens do best, and adulting with a child wasn't easy for her. Margie's brother, Fred, and his now ex-wife would often fill in the gaps when Margie needed someone to help out with Christine. The relationship she was in was very, um, very abusive, you know, physically and emotionally. They were still young and they wanted to go out. So me and Kathy used to babysit Christine all the time. I mean, fairly regularly, like three or four nights a week. So you really got to just play with her and, you know, teach her ABCs and counting and reading books, playing with toys. She was very shy, not outgoing, a little introverted, like outgoing with people she knew. Was she sweet um, she loved, or was she a little stinky? She was sweet. No, she was sweet. <laughs> she wasn't a fake guy. <laughs> no, she was very sweet and loving, um, loved playing hide and seek. Uncle Fred wasn't alone in his love for little Christine. Here's Virginia, Christine's best friend from elementary school. Christine and I both attended Baldwin and Pawtucket. I still remember we sat next to each other in school. We played together before school at recess. I remember we tried to draw a hopscotch. None of us, there was me, her, and another friend of ours. And for whatever reason, we couldn't figure out how to do it right. And we kept drawing it wrong. And we were laughing and we just made up a different version of our own. (laughs) I don't ever remember her ever getting in trouble at school. I did, but (laughs) our home lives were similar. A lot of the families that lived in that area didn't have much. Mine didn't. Christine's didn't. There were those families that had other issues that weren't as well off as others. Me and Christine both fell into that category. I think that's kind of what maybe is what drew us together to begin with. We we always ate lunch together. Once we started talking and realized that none of the other kids would talk to us or for whatever reason, maybe they grew up together or, or, you know, their parents were friends or what, for whatever reason, then that, you know, we would eat lunch together and meet up before school and things like that kind of became inseparable after that. She was so sweet, so nice to everybody, even the ones that were mean to her and that bullied her. She was still nice to them. She always had a smile on her face, no matter no matter what she's going through, no matter what was going on. Hi, this is Lori Dennings. How are you? Good. How are you, Lori? Here is Anne, Margie's one-time best friend and godmother to Christine Cole. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I'm sorry for the circumstances we're talking. We're hoping telling the story may help bring more attention and maybe get some answers somehow. Well, I hope so. Her mother and I were good friends growing up. We grew up together in a housing project. They were like an apartment away from us. So, you know, growing up with Margie, she was somebody that I never, never seen cry. Never. Her mother was not in the picture. Her mother was like in a group home kind of setting. Just she held everything tight. She never talked about anything. If anything was bothering her, you wouldn't know it. You know, when Christine was born, I was just turning eight, 18. During this time that Margie was doing this stuff, you know, I couldn't help her. When I wasn't going in that direction, that's not what I was doing. I was around Christine during her infancy and probably up until a year. 
And then Margie moved out with the baby's father and they got an apartment. And then I hadn't seen her in a while. Like I came home and from school or whatever, and she was gone. She had moved out and that was it. And it was just so strange. And, you know, now I can say that Margie probably had mental illness. Back then, I wouldn't have known because I didn't have the skill set to understand that. Then randomly, she called me that she had been in a shelter. And while she was in the shelter, whether it was a fatted women's shelter or whatever, she went out and left the baby in the care of somebody else baby was probably two or three at that time and that she didn't know what to do because when she went back to the shelter the child protection agency had already had custody of the baby so I let Marge stay and I got in touch with her father and her father helped get her get the baby back and then I lost contact with her again randomly Christine would call me just to check in and, you know, just say hi. And probably the last time she had done that, she probably had to be like maybe five or six. I didn't hear from Margie at all until I didn't even know where she was until, you know, I heard the news that Christine was missing. January 6th, 1988 was an especially cold day Temperatures were below freezing and the wind was unmerciful. It was a perfect day for clam chowder, but Christy's mother didn't have milk or clams. Christine had just celebrated her 10th birthday on January 4th. Christine was a double-digit kid now, and friends say she was excited about celebrating that monumental birthday with some independence. And although she must have loved getting to walk to the store by herself, it also would be the last time anyone would ever see her. Virginia recalls that freezing day in 1988. I just, I I can't get out of my head in that weather. It was a lot of snow on the ground then. It was below zero weather, frigidly cold. You can't imagine it. There is no way to describe it. It's it's just frigidly cold. My mother asked her to go to the store to pick, go to two different, two separate stores to get milk and clams. One store was Saints Market. The other store was at the time it was Red Seafood, and the Saints Market was closer to their house, but Red Seafood was roughly a little under a mile. But in that weather. For a 10-year-old girl, I just, it was that. That I don't understand. Christine was sent to the store by herself with a grocery list and two stops to make. One to the corner market and one to the seafood market almost one mile away. Christine was 10 years old, by herself in below-freezing weather, with a coat on and no mittens. We know Christine made it to one store. Her friend Virginia tells us that one of the clerks there even felt so bad for her, she gave her some mittens. No gloves or anything, because a woman at Saints Market had given her a um, mitten. The store clerk may have been the last person to see Christine. You know, in many of these cases, there's tons of friends and family to be advocates for these victims. This is not one of those cases. 
The timeline is unclear, but to the best of our knowledge, it was at least three hours later when anyone started looking for her. But that to me is unfathomable. It is freezing out. She's 10 years old, going to the grocery store and like, and anyway, a mom's expecting to make dinner and it's three hours later. Right. And I think that that's the running theme through this. And that's what's heartbreaking is that there was, uh, you know, like you said, she was 10 years old and she's out there. But to the best of our knowledge, the sun was going down and there are people that say the stepfather began to ask and ask around. Um, and so most people learned of Christine's disappearance on the news and they talk about their heartbreak. First at 530 tonight, a 10-year-old Christine Cole disappeared. Do you remember finding out that she was missing? Can you walk us through that day? Yeah, it was, boy, that was a big shock because there was a disconnect with Margie. I mean, it was like this Christine was taken away by DCYF for a, sh- a short time, a couple, three, four months, maybe. And then um, when Margie got Christine back, kind of pulled away from the family. How did you find out that Christine was missing? Over the news. <gasps> Once the news broke, then you were just in, in shock, you know. A young child like that goes missing, the outcome ain't only good. When did you learn that she had disappeared? I always watched the news with my dad, and I started crying. I said, what was wrong? And she said, oh, my God. And my sister was like, holy shit. And they turned the TV off. Do you remember where you were and how you found out that, you know, that Christine was even missing? I was watching the news, and they flashed her picture, and um, that's how I found out. And then I just started, you know, networking, trying to figure out Obviously, I knew she was in Pawtucket, and I showed up there. I just drove over there, and I knocked on her door, went in, and I talked to her, and I was just, and, you know, she really, it's just strange because my memory of that back then is that I don't even think I saw her cry, and that was just Maji. Mm-hmm. Anybody else that may have saw that may have saw that as an insensitivity, but she just never showed her emotions. I think it was maybe three or four days later, the police came knocking at the door, and I answered the door. They asked my mom and my dad, and they said they need to search the dumpster that was in the back of the house to look for Christine. I was put in my room. I wasn't allowed to even look out the window or anything. There's a period of time from when the police knocked on the door to when her body was found that I don't remember. After 54 days, a man came here to Connecticut Point Beach in Warwick. He was walking along this stretch with his dog when he spotted something. He walked up to it, not sure what it was. At first, he thought it was a doll. Sadly, that was little Christine Cole that had washed up onto the beach. 54 days after little Christine Cole walked out of her house to buy milk and clams, her body was discovered. A man walking his dog on the shore of Connecticut Point in Warwick discovered Christine's remains washed ashore. I can still remember it. I'll never forget it. Just seeing it, watching them. (sighs) Watching them pick her up and carry her off. Right off the beach. Christine's Uncle Fred recalls hearing the tragic news. They found her in the water. There was a lot of 
uh, decomposition from from her. So they like have like not a lot of clues of where she was put in at, but they know that she was in there for a while. Sad thing for me is that I didn't hear from Margie at all. I didn't even know where she was until I heard the news that Christine was missing. And then, you know, 50-something days later, we find out that she was in the in the water. So then I went to Margie's house at that time. I was pretty devastated because that little girl had nothing, like nothing. You know, there wasn't a baby doll. There wasn't nothing. Like, and I just looked at Margie and just said, where's her stuff? She doesn't have anything. And I remember yelling at Margie saying, why doesn't she have anything? You know, going through the house with her and where's her room? And, you know, there was nothing. I pulled drawers. I pulled her drawers. I pulled drawers. And I was like, where's her stuff? Margie just looked at me. She didn't have, she really didn't say anything. I just said, where's her stuff? Like, she had nothing. Anybody else, I would have thought that they cleaned her house out already. Like, did you already pack her shit? And, like, I felt really bad. His, I probably could have helped her had I known. Christine may not have had the perfect childhood, but she was loved. Her absence reverberated through her school, family, and friends. The chain was broken, and life would never be the same. Regardless of anyone's life situation, you know, what happened to Christine should not happen to any ch- any child, no matter what class we're in or what problems we're dealing with in life. You know, we try to be supportive of Maji, you know. She's uh, been, like, homeless, and when you lose a child, boy, I'll tell you, it's, um, I guess that's why they have no name for it. She told me that, that after Christine had died, she had gotten involved in drugs in order to cope. And that she was, you know, she's come through it, that she was clean. And that was it. I gave her my phone number and I asked her to please keep in touch. And again, I haven't heard from her. And like right now, I have no idea where she is. My name is Detective Susan Cormier. I am a detective with the Pawtucket Police Cold Case Unit in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, and I am investigating the homicide of Christine Cole, the Queen of Hearts. And Christine Cole was murdered on January 6, 1988, and that remains unsolved. In the neighboring city of Central Falls, which is just the next uh, town over, little Michelle Norris was seven years old, and she was killed four months after Christine Cole was, and these little girls lived half a mile apart and looked very much like each other. So, you know, the fact that they were children that were murdered and remained unsolved, pretty much everyone who lives around this area and this community is very familiar with both little girls. They both looked alike. They had the same social background and family history. You know, at the time, in 1988, crimes were a lot different, and At the time that our two little girls here were murdered, there were five children in Rhode Island that were killed all within a few months of each other. So there were three little boys that were murdered just prior to our little girls, and those were unsolved for a little bit of time. So obviously it had a community very scared and keeping their children indoors and 
the boys that were murdered, it turns out, um, there was an arrest of one young 21-year-old that killed two of the boys, and then an arrest was made on the third boy that was killed by another person known to him. Um, so, you know, that did put some of the community at ease that an arrest was made. It wasn't one serial killer, you know, abducting and killing these children. But obviously with our little girls, it, it has remained unsolved. So uh, Christine is the queen of hearts, and uh, Michelle is the queen of diamonds. I think that we've come closer than ever right now to solving these. We have a lot of really good leads. We have a great network of people working with us from the FBI to the experts, the forensic experts working on these cases collectively with us. And I think that we are going to hopefully come to some resolution, hopefully before the end of the year. Over the years, I've looked for every little bit of information about her to try and figure out for myself who did it. I wanted to see everything and know everything and read everything and just to figure it out, to know, to try and do something. Closure isn't the right word because in, cause it's, just, it's a little girl who should still be here now. But it's more of not a wanting, but a needing to see the person who's responsible for taking her life and making her mother suffer, her, her, her family suffer, her taking her away from the world. Who, who, who knows what she would have grown up to be? That person deserves to just, she deserves to live. She deserves to live. There are no words when a child is taken away from this world too soon. We only hope that justice and answers will bring some peace and some respect to Christine Cole's legacy. There's a poem by Rupi Cole. I am sorry this world cannot keep you safe. May your journey home be a soft and peaceful one. This is the part of the podcast where we would normally go over the list of suspects. But while we were producing this episode, there was a major turn of events. And after several decades, this cold case was about to see the light of day. We spoke with Detective Sue Cormier for the latest update on the case. With the turn of events, we did develop a suspect uh, by the name of Jao Montero. He came about because I had submitted evidence for DNA testing. Some of the evidence did come back with a partial YSTR profile, uh, which those in the listening audience who aren't familiar with that, that stands for a short tandem repeat that has to do with DNA for the male chromosome. So in doing that testing, uh, we learned from an in-house database that there was a partial match to someone that was in our Rhode Island database. The only thing with that is the person that the match came back to uh, was a young man who was arrested for a unrelated offense, and he was not born yet when Christine was murdered. He was born five years later, so clearly it could not be him. So that led me to uh, research his family tree and led me to his father, which was Jao Montero. 
And in researching Zhao Montero and his history, um, he actually once lived above the store where Christine was last seen and she went missing from Saints Market. The way that he was living his life over the last uh, 30 years, he lived in a very covert way that uh, kind of flying under the radar, a lot of things that just kind of pointed to him as well. I ended up getting a search warrant to get his uh, DNA sample. And in doing so, it showed us that we did have a match. We have made an arrest in the Cole case of the homicide of Christine Cole. New details tonight on the arrest of a man in connection with a decades-old cold case featured in our... A 31-year cold case solved. Pawtucket police detectives say through DNA testing, they've linked 59-year-old Zhao Montero to the death of a 10-year-old Christine Cole. Police say Montero lived above the market where Cole was last seen more than 30 years ago. Detective Susan Cormier has been working tirelessly on the case. In August last year, I opened the Christine Cole case. She says they got DNA from Montero yesterday morning and arrested him last night as he was leaving work in Woonsocket. There was no relationship. As far as we can show, he was a stranger. Christine Cole's case is one of 52 unsolved cases represented on the cold case cards. It truly was something out of a movie and... You know, you're kind of holding your breath and waiting. You know, after I had done this investigation over the past year and had done stakeouts and, and followed him and watched him and, you know, like TV, pulled things from his trash to try and uh, match for DNA evidence, um, following him around and, and those type of things. So when I did submit it to our Department of Health, who does all of our DNA testing, um, you know, we had brought him in that morning. Uh, we had the search warrant for his DNA. And, uh, you know, while it normally takes a long time for DNA to come back because of this type of case, and it was a murder of a child and, you know, a cold case, everyone was on board and everyone was lined up um, waiting. The lab was on standby waiting for the buckle swab to be transferred down to the lab to be tested, and they were spending the entire day just on that case to be able to get an answer one way or another with the DNA. So, um, you know, later on that night when uh, I was notified by them that, yes, it was a match, that, you know, was just an unbelievable moment for me and for everybody on this department that, you know, this case has, has been on everybody's mind for many years. She's never been forgotten. She never will be. So it was it was a defining moment. Sounds like an open and shut case. I mean, there was DNA evidence found and it was linked to someone and they always say DNA doesn't lie. So, yeah, sounds like that's the best type of evidence they could have. It normally is. But in this case, not quite. As the old quote says, the wheels of justice turn slowly but grind exceedingly fine. Detective Cormier explains why justice for Christine Cole would have to wait for now. Cases like this are very difficult to put together. You know, only about 1% of cold cases ever get solved. And um, in the state of Rhode Island, we only have six months to bring it before a grand jury to get an indictment on someone. And six months isn't really a lot of time to put together a case, um, you know, that's 30 years old and a lot of moving parts. Bail hearing was held today for Zhao Montero. He's accused of killing 10-year-old Christine Cole in 1988. A man accused of a 1988 murder walks out of court in plain clothes, leaving with family yet again. 
The attorney general's office tells us based on the state's continuing review of the evidence, they can no longer reasonably request Montero be held without bail. Zhao was released on bail. We weren't able to move forward with the indictment in the six-month time frame. There are still some things that we need to go forward with and uh, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that it could only be uh, Zhao Montero and it can't be any other of their male relatives in that male lineage, uh, which we are in the process of working on. This is still a very active case. So was it disappointing? Um, well, it was definitely disappointing, but you know, understandable that if, you know, if we have one shot at this, we want to get it right. You know, for us to be able to prove that none of these other male family members were in the area at the time or, you know, that they, they could not have been responsible for this. And it's just, it just makes me work that much harder. I 150% believe that I have the right person, uh, the person responsible for, for this crime. And I am never going to stop. I will never let this go until, uh, you know, we are able to prove this and get some justice for Christine and her family and make sure that this man is held responsible for what he did. You know, I'm always interested in hearing from the public if anybody has any information on this case or any of the cases that uh, we work on. And I have a uh, tip line that I can be contacted, and that's 877-RI-SOLVE. I also have a website, um, which is Cold Case RI, where they could submit a tip. They can also do that anonymously. I also have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. It's also in the name of Cold Case RI, so I'd love for people to start following the page, submit some tips to me, you know, or any information that they may have. Guys, this is exactly why the cold case playing cards are so important. These detectives, family members, friends, and community members are determined to never give up on finding justice for these victims. It took one dogged detective and the support of the Pawtucket Police Department to thaw this cold case out. It is yet to end in a conviction, but you can bet Detective Sue Cormier will not stop until it does. So thank you so much, you guys, for listening. We're glad that you're here to wrap out this case with us. This was such an interesting case to be a part of. Christine Cole really touched our hearts. And, you know, who knew that after 30 years while we were doing this, that something so huge as finding a suspect and finding DNA would come forward. So we're so grateful we got to be a part of this journey and we learned so much. You know, the DNA took them straight to Jal Montero's son. However, his son was not born yet. So the next thing that they do, which again, this happens in some cases, we need to look to the immediate males in the family because that's the way the DNA works. And that's what they did. Jao Montero came to the top of the list and for good reason. Lori, tell us a little bit about Jao. First of all, he lived above the market where she was last seen. So that's a huge circumstantial, you know, puts him in the place of the crime. But in looking at his background, because now you want to look, the man's had 30 years. Has he been, you know, has he been in trouble with the law before? And yes, he has. I mean, he was arrested in 1989 on two counts of a felony assault with a dangerous weapon. Now, he pleaded no contest to one count and was given two years probation. And he also has some charges of misdemeanor domestic violence. And he was also charged um, with two DWIs. Plus, he's moved around 19 times in the same area. 
And again, even in the police affidavit, it talks about, you know, the police had to trail him to find out where he was even located to make his arrest because he did not live at the address on his driver's license or where he was registered. So, I mean, this was a man that was hiding something. Also in the police affidavit, they had to say, you know, even at work, everybody else would park their car in the employee parking lot out front where their cars could be visible from the road. And he parked his car behind two delivery trucks and made it not visible from the road. So it was it's important to kind of see that this man, I mean, allegedly, he just seems like he's just hiding something, always looking over his shoulder and not being one to be visible. Right. Anybody on the up and up is not doing those kinds of things that they had discussed him doing. So, you know, he has an arrest record. And I think the biggest thing is, again, he lived right above Saints Market at the time that Christine Cole went missing. Saints Market was the last place she was seen. And here's the thing about DNA. It's not like Zhao was somebody they went after. He was not even on the radar. They weren't even thinking of him. They ran this DNA again and then have it traced back and then to say, okay, can't be the son. Let's do some research. And, you know, when I was talking to Sue and she describes the feeling of saying, okay, it can't be his son. Let's look at the the people around him and when they looked into Jow and seeing that he lived at uh, above St. Mark St. Market, you know, that feeling was like, okay, we may have our guy. Let's look in a little deeper and then you see that he has uh, you know, he's kind of lived this shady underground life that, you know, somebody who has nothing to hide isn't going to do. They know they have their guy. And you know what it also frees up? It frees up the cloud of suspicion that hangs over anybody else that maybe got the side eye because of this. Um, Christine Cole's stepdad, you know, always the stepdad. Anybody who lives in the house has kind of looked at. He's always been somebody that people thought, could he have done it? Um, And then her real dad, who wasn't in her life. You know, everybody kind of discussed and thought when you and I had talked to them, maybe her real dad had something to do with it. So now, you know, not only do we have our guy, but it also frees up these other people who lived under that cloud of suspicion. So what's happening right now is the detectives and their department are really just buttoning up um, any and all evidence that they need. That way a defense attorney can't come in and say, oh, you know, it could have been a distant cousin. It could have been this and that, which again, there's so much circumstantial evidence. Um, And on top of that, it's DNA. So that's not circumstantial, but they just want to make sure that, you know, they button everything up and that Jal Montera is convicted and that he stays in jail and that he pays for what he did to little Christine Cole. And that's why, too, as they're trying to button this up, it's very important that it just takes one tip. So along with the DNA and narrowing that down, if there's anything else anyone knows out there from 1988, Zhao would have been a 28-year-old male at the time. Um, You know, now is the time. If you think you knew something at the time and you weren't sure or didn't know or have any other information about him or anybody else about her case, Detective Comier would love to talk with anybody if you have any tips or information. And again, that number to call is 1-877-RI-SOLVE. That's 1-877-747-6583. And Rhode Island DOC inmates can call star 9083. Like us on Facebook at Cold Case Playing Cards for all the latest information on this case and other cards we'll be featuring on future episodes. Feeling Justice is written, produced, and hosted by Jennifer Dubasak and myself, Lori Jennings. Our sound design is by John Schaub. Our executive consultant is the Cold Case Playing Cards creator, retired FDLE Special Agent Tommy Ray. 
If you want to help us spread the word about these victims' stories, please subscribe and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends to subscribe. Thank you for being a part of this and please join us next time on Dealing Justice. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.